0: Welcome to the Farm Bits podcast. Farm Bits is proudly produced by the Nebraska Digital Agriculture team and hosted by students at the University of Nebraska.
1: The Farm Bits podcast comes to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value
0: of digital agriculture. Through interviews with experts, producers, and innovators from across the agriculture industry, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, FarmBits followers, and welcome to another episode of the FarmBits podcast. I'm Taylor Cross. And I'm Natasha Mizu and we are glad to have you with us as we continue diving into the topic of digital tools in pest management.
1: Today, we're joined by Robert Cook, Associate Professor in Entomology at the University of Minnesota.
0: Dr. Cook's lab focuses on soybean pest management and has begun introducing remote sensing technologies and techniques in, into his research projects.
1: We hope you enjoy this episode, learning more about soybean pest management and remote sensing. And with that, let's dive into this episode with Dr. Cook.
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, my name is Bob Cook, and I'm currently an associate professor and extension entomologist at the University of Minnesota. Um, and uh, for the background, I grew up in Central Minnesota, uh, just down the road from my grandparents' dairy farm. You know, so I've been Involved or interacting with agriculture my whole life. Um, I had a strong interest in biology. When I went into college, I got a bachelor's degree at St. John's University focused in biology. And that's where I got hooked on insects. And then from there, I got my PhD at the University of Minnesota. And there was a lot of focus on uh, applied ecology, integrated pest management um, in my experiences there. After that, I worked for about six years with the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, working with invasive species, and in 2013, I came into the position that I'm in now. Um, my focus here, again, it's um, research and extension focused on soybean entomology, and that might sound like a very narrow scope, right, working on just one crop, but it gives me the opportunity to explore a lot of different topics, technologies, tools within that one system. Um, so we do things ranging from insecticide efficacy, you know, evaluating new products coming out on the market. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work with insecticide resistance, especially in the soybean aphid. So documenting levels of resistance, how widespread it is using bioassays, to um, more detailed work now, where we're trying to understand the mechanisms of resistance. So looking at uh, using molecular tools to look at target site mutations that are allowing the insects to survive the insecticides. We do work with pest resistant crops in collaboration with our soybean breeder here, developing soybean lines that are resistant to the soybean aphid. And now we're trying to get resistance to some other pests as well. Uh, work with biological control, you know. So it's finding out what predators and maybe parasitic wasps are attacking certain pests, and figuring out how we can promote their populations. And then I think getting closer to what you all wanted to talk about today is I do quite a bit of work with sampling as well and decision making for pest management. Some of that sampling is more traditional, like trying to help farmers and consultants figure out how many plants they should look at when they're counting pests to get a good estimate of that pest pressure. And then also developing um, thresholds or applications of insecticides, right? Like, so how many insects on average need to be on the plants to make it worthwhile to apply the insecticides? Um, and then kind of advancing from there, we've started working with remote sensing as a potential tool to increase the efficiency of uh, crop scouting for pests, right? I think we all know that it's really time consuming and, um, you know, sometimes quite honestly, kind of a miserable experience being out there tromping through fields in the summer when there's a lot of other stuff going on and, you know, counting or estimating the numbers of insects on plants, right? In theory, you know, some of these uh, technologies you know, with multispectral sensors, hyperspectral sensors, drones, satellites, you know, the combinations of these technologies, you know, are potentially opening the door for more efficient and maybe more effective scouting. So I got into that line of work from, from that angle. Well,
0: this is really cool. And your lab is really diverse, actually. Yeah, that's yeah, fun. <laughs> uh, and can you tell us a little bit about the tools that your lab is using uh, focus more on the remote sensing as you were mentioned, and if you are focusing on a specific species, you using these tools.
2: Sure. So you know, for the the species that we're working with, it's focused on soybean as the plant species, and then for the pests that we're working with, it's mainly been the soybean aphid, and that's because that pest has historically been the most important soybean insect pest in the Midwest, and populations of that insect, the soybean aphid, have decreased in some parts of the Midwest, but in Minnesota, it remains the most significant pest, and in parts of, you know, some of the neighboring states as well. So that's why, uh, you know, we've been focusing a lot of our efforts there. Some of the tools or technologies that we've been using have ranged from handheld Hyperspectral sensors, so a tool that you can hold in your hand and either get a measure of the spectral reflectance of the soybean canopy from you know a, a short distance above the plants. To using there's a special attachment that we can put on it where we can get leaf level reflectance. Where there's a tool that like kind of clamps onto the leaf. We've been working with drones, multi rotor drones holding. Um, multispectral sensors, and then more recently, now we're working with some satellite-based data. So through all of this, you know, we're trying to see if we can detect the stress to the soybean plants that's being caused by the soybean aphid, right? We're not trying to detect the individual aphids themselves or to count them because they're tiny insects, a lot of times around the undersides of the leaves. So these spectral sensors from these different platforms, you know, we likely wouldn't be able to see them. But when these insects are feeding on the plants, they can change the physiology of the plant or maybe the morphology of the plant, either within the leaves or the whole canopy. So that's what we wanted to see if we could detect. And it started out with um, research with that handheld sensor. And we confirmed that we could detect the aphid stress from that, and then we kind of leveled up from there and confirmed that we could detect the stress from a drone. And then now we're we're working with satellite-based data. And some of the preliminary results are suggesting that we can detect soybean aphid stress from that platform as well. And there, you know that there are trade-offs between these different platforms.
1: Right. I imagine so. That's really neat to be able to um, have your have your project scale to the satellite um, size because um, my my work is in remote sensing and um, to be able to adopt technologies and have satellites is just more scalable for commercial setting and for end users, as you probably are aware. So that's really neat. Um, so you kind of have mentioned it, but maybe highlight it for our listeners. What really motivated um, your lab or other um, colleagues in your area doing this work to um Pursue remote sensing for pest management.
2: Yep. So one big reason is shortly after I started in this position, I started hearing some companies, you know, coming out with claims or selling services, you know, where they could use remote sensing to basically diagnose different pest issues in crops. And it sounded great, but I'm always a little bit skeptical about things. So I kind of wanted to test the system to see if, you know, we really could do, you know, some of what was being uh, promised by, by some of these companies. So that's how we got into it initially. You know, my take on it was almost kind of like consumer protection, maybe, right. You know, not wanting things. I was a little concerned that things were maybe sounding a little too good to be true. Right. So I, I wanted to, kind of evaluate that. And some of that, I think, comes from, you know, some of my experience evaluating insecticides, right? As an extension entomologist, a lot of, a a big part of our role, I think, is to provide that independent evaluation of different technologies, be it, you know, a new chemical insecticide or something else. And then, uh, you know, we actually started showing that that there is some promise for these technologies in for uh, scouting for crop pests. And then now we're just trying to um, figure out the best fit for that.
0: Um, and you already mentioned some uh, that that you are using remote sensing to scout especially for uh, soybean aphid, right? Uh, but do you have an idea? Um, how can I say suggestions or idea that how remote sensing can be used in the pest management instead of just discounting?
2: Um, I, I think the main fit for the spectral remote sensing would be for scouting, mm-hmm. which helps inform decision-making, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of us preach IPM, integrated pest management, and an important part of that is making those management decisions, you know, maybe a decision to apply an insecticide based on some information about the pest population in that field. And like I said, you know, the traditional approach is going into that field, counting the insects. It's time consuming. And because it's time consuming, you know, sometimes farmers or their advisors, you know, might not do as thorough of a job with it. And if they're not doing as thorough of a job, they might not be getting as good of information to make that decision. So my hope is, you know, that's where some of these Um, digital technologies like remote sensing could help um provide better information for those um, the decision making for pest management
1: yeah that's really awesome um so you mentioned um a second ago about your kind of your findings um from this project with this soybean aphid um do you want to go into any more depth about maybe those findings sure Yeah, we can
2: we um so for the soybean aphid, um, a lot of our research has been very focused on this particular pest, and we've done it in a way where we've tried to control for other kinds of stressors, so that the only thing that's really varying in our experimental plots is the abundance of aphids. You know, So we've done that by using cages sometimes, where we use the cages to build up populations of aphids on some plants and then exclude aphids from others. Um, We've also used insecticides in some experiments to knock down aphid numbers in some plants in some areas and let them grow in others. And in doing these experiments, we've been able to show that some of the near-infrared wavelengths are sensitive to the aphid stress. and, And we've been able to see that across these different platforms from being on the ground with the handheld sensors, up to the drone, and then up to the satellites, we're seeing similar responses. Um, we're still not exactly sure what it is that the aphids are doing to the plants to um, to allow us to be able to, what what changes are happening within the plants that we're picking up with these sensors, right? When aphids are feeding, they're stabbing into the leaves sucking out the sap you know so it could be changes in um, kind of the the turgor pressure within these these tissues could be um, you know other physiological changes in the plant so there there's a lot of room or opportunity for additional research there you know kind of uh, looking under the hood so to speak right to see what's what's going on
0: and it's nice how uh those technologies can improve the field work. Mm-hmm. Right. Um and in your opinion, um do you think that farmers are, are open to adopt, you know, to use remote sensing or digital tools uh in pest management and also how the the university could help or improve this adoption uh from the farmer side
2: yeah I I, I don't have any like survey data to show how many farmers are utilizing remote sensing for pest management. You know, so I can't give any specific numbers, but I can say that, you know, as I'm attending extension meetings and, and talking about some of this research, you know, I've certainly encountered quite a few farmers and uh, you know, especially agronomists and consultants mm-hmm. who are, you know, either using the technologies one way or another, or, you know, expressed interest in trying to implement it sometime in the future.
1: Yeah, that's really, uh, really cool. And I think there's a lot of potential for um, just adoption of those digital tools just to help farmers make decisions. Um, And that's what we're really excited to share with our listeners about those uh, digital tools that are out there um, in all aspects of the ag industry. Uh, what might be the biggest challenge that your lab and you all are facing in conducting this research while using remote sensing, uh, specifically in pest management?
2: Yeah. Um, so, like, there's two big challenges. One is getting the pests to cooperate with us. Um, you know, it, it just seems like a lot of times, whenever we try to set up an experiment, for whatever reason, that pest doesn't show up or its populations don't build. So we we always run into those issues in just trying to get the data. Um, But I think one of the the bigger issues is accounting for other kinds of stressors in those fields, right? So I I mentioned how we've been really focused on the soybean aphid and in doing so to kinda, um, I think most accurately characterize that relationship between the aphids and the plants and how we can measure it with these spectral tools, we've kind of done the best we can to rule out all these other stressors, kind of remove them from the system. But in a real world field, we know it's not just soybean aphids out there causing problems to plants, right? There's moisture stress, nutrient issues, uh, pathogens, all different kinds of things, right? So I think that's, Our biggest weakness right now is that we haven't yet really accounted for all these other stressors. Um, Some of our, we started expanding our scope and we're working with a a beetle that chews holes in the leaves. It's a defoliator, it's called the Japanese beetle. And in Nebraska, I'm not sure how much of an issue it is, but it's a pretty big issue in southeastern Minnesota and in some of the, the states farther east from here. And with that insect, we've shown that we can also detect the feeding from that insect with some of these spectral sensors. But the tricky thing is the wavelengths that we previously found that are sensitive for detecting soybean aphid are some of the same wavelengths that are being affected by the Japanese beetle. So if you've got both pests occurring in the system, you know, one could kind of confound your estimates of the other. And these near-infrared wavelengths are kind of respond to a lot of different stressors. So, you know, I think right now we we could use these wavelengths to maybe identify areas in the field that have some kind of problem and then send a scout out to figure out what that problem is. Is it soybean aphid or maybe Japanese beetle or something else? Um, I think the holy grail, so to speak, could be getting to a point where we could use spectral data and maybe the hyperspectral data where we've got measurements from lots and lots of different wavelengths to be able to actually distinguish between these different stressors. You know, so that's where we could really leverage these technologies and you know machine learning and things like that to to you know hopefully um, really level up you know remote sensing for pest pest management,
1: yeah, I think that would be really powerful if you were really able to distinguish um like that. and I think um, there might be potential, you know, in the future for, you know, continued research for that. Yeah. yeah. And, and
2: that's one of the areas where we've had challenges of the insects not cooperating with us. Mm-hmm. So with these two pests, the aphid and the Japanese beetles, we had what we thought were some great experiments planned where we were manipulating the populations of both. So we'd have some plots with aphids, some with Japanese beetles, some with both, and then some with no insect pests. But over the multiple years that we tried it, Sometimes the aphid populations would increase the way we wanted, but we wouldn't get the Japanese beetles or vice versa. So we weren't able to get as many data sets with both pests present to really allow us to, um, you know, have the power in our analyses to distinguish the two pests. So we're, we're still working on, on some of those aspects.
1: Yeah, that is really that's really just the two
2: stressors, right? There's all these other stressors out there, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting for me um, being from a nutrient background using remote sensing and we have um, pretty good control over our studies when we're implementing it and, you know, setting up these research trials. Okay, I'm going to put more nitrogen on here. I'm going to put no nitrogen on here. And yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to control those pests. That's just really interesting to me. And um, yeah. I'll be reminded when I think I'm having a bad uh, research <laughs> trial that y'all are probably having a worse one than me. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, it's always a challenge when we work with insects because each year is different about the pressure. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, uh, even with you, we cannot distinguish which pest uh, it's damaging the plant, but I think it's really important because with using this technology, you know, for example, the area that you are having the issue. So farmers, even though they don't know exactly what it is, but they can go in a specific area and, you know, take a look closer. Mm-hmm. And- Help them to take some, yeah,
2: yep. which is a huge improvement, right? To maybe not have to look at all of those acres that they're managing, but really focus in on some problem areas. You know. yeah.
0: And Dr. Cook, since uh, I know you work with soybean gomage as well, and my lab work with soybean gomage as well, do you think we could use remote sensing or some type of that that technology with soybean gomage to identify their presence in the field
2: yeah so justin mcmechen your advisor and i have been talking about that and we each have some data on that already and uh, we've done some preliminary analyses on some of our data and it looks like there might be some wavelengths that are sensitive to uh soybean gall stress before we can even see that stress in the plants right? I mean, you obviously know that the midge feeding causes the plants to wilt and die. And, you know, we could certainly see that, you know, if we had wilting and dead plants, that would be pretty easy to detect from, you know, some of these remote sensing platforms. But what was really exciting is we were able to see some changes in some wavelengths before we could even visibly notice that those plants were were affected does that make any sense
1: yes yes
2: yeah so so it's all kind of preliminary data right now and um yeah that's something we definitely want to explore that's a pest where I think the applications of it would be a little bit different right because if you have that infestation those larvae in the plants feeding um, they're they're protected in there, right? So coming in with an insecticide application, like we maybe would for a soybean aphid, might not be as effective for the soybean gall midge. You know, so how we're utilizing remote sensing for soybean gall midge? You know, the benefits there could maybe be looking at you know extents of infestation, or maybe going back into historic satellite data or something to see how widespread this pest was, or how it's expanded over time, things like that.
1: Yeah, that is really interesting. And the big benefit to remote sensing is being able to, you know, see in an image, something that you wouldn't have seen with your normal eye with all the advancements in those wavelengths and the cameras and sensors. It's really, really neat. So in Minnesota, where you are um, located and doing extension work, what would you say the traditional uh, pest management practices are in Minnesota for those growers?
2: Yeah, so traditional pest management practices, and I think we can, you know, like I said, our main pest has been the soybean aphid. So for management of that pest, um, you know, our recommendations are for the the farmer, the consultants to get out into the field and estimate or count the number of aphids on kind of a representative sample of plants throughout that field. And then we've got a research-based threshold of 250 aphids per plant on average across the field and that's the uh, trigger point where an insecticide application should be lined up to come in and and knock down that pest population before it starts causing economic losses Um, so that's kind of the the current status for management of that pest some of the other insect pests like caterpillars grasshoppers Japanese beetle, um, these are defoliating pests that chew holes in the leaves. Um, We've got thresholds based on percent defoliation. So how much of the leaf area is removed and we recommend people go out and, you know, again, look at plants spread throughout the field to get a representative sample. Look at leaves from the top, middle and bottom of the plant. So you get kind of a full canopy estimate, you know, across the height of the plant and across the extent of the field. Kind of a full canopy estimate of the amount of leaf area removed, the percent defoliation, and kind yeah. of conservative thresholds for that are thirty percent defoliation prior to flowering and twenty percent defoliation after flowering. Um, so that's the kind of stuff we're recommending. I mean, there are other recommendations out there, and you know, some people are you know applying insecticides more prophylactically, right? Maybe they're going through with a herbicide application or a fungicide application. And if they've got a cheap, uh, you know, generic insecticide that they can throw in there, it's relatively little cost up front. And if there is a damaging pest population there, it might make sense to knock it down that way. But a lot of times, at least in Minnesota, these damaging pest populations don't always line up with when these other applications are being made. So those applications, you know, economically, it might not make sense, right? You're making an an economic input into that field where you might not get a return on the investment. But more concerning to me is all these applications that we're doing to those pest populations, even though there's not a big economic infestation there, there's probably some small number of those pests in that field and if we come in and spray them with an insecticide maybe when we didn't need to we're only increasing the chances that that pest could develop resistance to those insecticides you know and we're, we're we've been dealing with insecticide resistance in the soybean aphids to the pyrethroid insecticides and due to regulatory actions we've lost the ability to use chlorpyrifos one of the organophosphates and those are kind of the two main groups or classes of insecticides that that have been used for management of that pest. So the the toolbox, so to speak, for chemical management of the soybean aphid has been really reduced. We've got some newer chemicals that have come out and uh, you know are available, but generally speaking, I think they're a little more expensive than some of these others that were kind of the traditional standby insecticides and and our growers have have less experience with with some of these these newer chemistries.
0: Yes, it's important to highlight the importance of the uh, resistance management because it takes a long time to develop a new uh, active ingredient, then to lose their efficacy, you know, it's really fast if we don't manage this correctly.
2: Right. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, if we can keep advancing things with the digital technologies and remote sensing and moving more toward precision management of pests. I think that could really help with resistance management for, for insecticides, right? Instead of having to spray an entire field and all the insects that are in the field, if we could identify the areas within the field that really need to be sprayed and only spray those, you know, then we're maintaining some of that population not exposed to the insecticide. And that should in theory help reduce the rates of resistance development.
0: Yeah, and also the costs for farmers because they don't yeah. spray yeah. whole field,
2: right? Yeah. The economic costs, the environmental impacts, right? Less insecticide going into that field, you know, mm-hmm. should decrease the risk to pollinators or water quality, human health, things like that. So I think I think there are a lot of potential benefits that could come from it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: So do you think that by using these remote sensing technologies that you'll be able to um, maybe one day uh, avoid this pest population reaching that economical um, injury level, those thresholds that you mentioned? Um, How can this digital precision tools um, help those growers um, make decisions before the economic economic thresholds met?
2: Yep. So... that's exactly it's going to help the farmers make those decisions and I think it would do so by giving comprehensive information over the whole field right because right now with traditional scouting we're going in and just checking plants in a you know several areas throughout that field but there's a lot of areas that we're not looking at there's a lot of plants in there from which we're not counting the aphids or whatever the insect is but with you know this remote sensing be it from a drone or a satellite, we're getting a picture, literally, of the whole field, right? You know, so we're not we're not missing areas. Depending on the platform, we could get um, maybe higher temporal resolution in the data as well. That could help us kind of monitor that stress over the uh, more intensively mm-hmm. over the season. Um, one thing from the research end that we'll have to do and we talked about this in a in a paper with some Brazilian collaborators recently is um you know how are we going to have to adjust our our thresholds to account for these digital technologies like like remote sensing right right now those thresholds are based on going into the fields counting aphids on the plants and then relating that estimate of the population to this threshold right but if we're getting spectral data You know, what's that relationship then? At what point, you know, what what level of spectral change do you need to trigger the insecticide application? And in addition to that, you know, if we want to think about precision management, how much of the field would need to be infested to trigger an application to the whole field? Or do we have precision application technologies where we can go in and apply the past management tactic only to certain parts of the field you know so there's a lot of additional research i think that that needs to be done to get to to those levels
1: yeah that's really neat and um really interesting to you know maybe adjust that uh threshold if you know you have more more images more frequently versus then scouting you know you won't be Mm -hmm. scouting every day maybe research settings y'all are um but you and, you know, commercial scale would be doing that. So, but great answer.
0: Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And um talking about the future of the integrating digital tools and remote sensing past management, what you are most looking forward for this uh, topic or area?
1: Yeah, we like to ask this question and get some big ideas, you know, uh, it can be unrealistic too so whatever your (laughs) thoughts are
2: no i i think one exciting thing is this idea of getting to precision pest management right you know we talked about precision agriculture and i think there's a lot of traction there or even implementation of that from the nutrient front right you know where there's people have been doing you know grid-based sampling in their fields for you know assessing nutrient levels for some time and going in and Um, applying different amounts of nutrients to you know different areas but if we could get to that level for insect pest management I I think it would be a a huge advancement I think all these technologies will hopefully eventually get us there Uh, we're going to need a lot of additional research along the way collaboration between universities private sector Um, and the, the, the benefits that can come from that you know we kind of talked about already right it's would hopefully reduce the economic cost for farmers, because they might not need to apply as much insecticide, because maybe the whole field doesn't need it. Um, And then, again, reducing the risk of insecticide resistance development, and then these other environmental um, risks as well could hopefully be reduced.
1: Yeah, that's really neat. Um, Thanks for sharing. Um, So is there anything that we didn't talk about today before we wrap it up with the last two questions um, that maybe you wanted to share with our listeners?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think just point out, you know, remote sensing isn't just spectral-based remote sensing, right? There's other things, so to speak, that we can pick up on with with sensors, right? You know, that there's work going on with like electronic noses, right? That can pick up on plant volatiles. And some people are looking at that for insect pests, you know? So that's another kind of remote sensing that, you know, maybe we could be looking at in the future, right? As plants get stressed, they might release different kinds of volatile chemicals that these sensors could, could smell, so to speak. And could that help us distinguish or quantify pest infestations? Um, Not something that we're working with now, but I know there are other researchers out there um, working with that kind of stuff.
0: That's really neat. Well, it was uh, really nice to talk to you about what your lab is working uh, using these uh, tools and also others. research that you have been doing. And well, but if our listener, listeners want to know more about your research or your work, that is any um, platform or website that they can go and know more about
2: this? Sure, sure. Yeah, well, well, first off, thank you for your interest in the work that we've been doing and inviting me to chat with you today. Um, throughout the year, The crops team with University of Minnesota Extension, we have a a blog called Minnesota Crop News, and that's where we, uh, it's kind of the platform that we use to get out our timely extension-based information across the main field crops and then the different kind of disciplines within that. So entomologists, plant pathologists, agronomists, we're all putting out kind of timely articles Throughout throughout the growing season, especially, um, and then for you know the the research coming out of my lab, I have a University of Minnesota faculty webpage. I, I don't recall the URL for that offhand, but it's I think pretty easy for people to Google search, and there's links there to um, see the different the different uh, research projects or papers that that my team is producing.
1: Awesome. Thank you. So, a uh, tradition here on the Farm Bits podcast is to ask for a piece of advice from our guests um, from each episode. So, um, what advice do you have to share with our listeners of maybe farmers are facing challenges with pest management? Um, what would be your advice to them?
2: I guess I would say consider multiple sources of information, right? You know, there, there's a lot of people working on a lot of different aspects of problems and you know, get what information you can from these different sources and try to piece it together the, the best way you can.
0: Thank you very much to Dr. Cook for taking time to join this episode of the FarmBeat podcast. It's really exciting to know more about the research that is being conducted in his lab at University of Minnesota. One of my favorite parts of this episode was when he mentioned about how remote sensing can help farmers to scout the field and saving time in this step of management.
1: Yeah, I agree, Natasha. I also think it's just really cool how remote sensing is so efficient in all um, parts of the industry and how um, continuous research and development of products could potentially increase uh, its use in pest management. So um, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to sharing another digital ag story with you next week on Farm Bits. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the FarmBits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts
0: to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email on Twitter or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We would like to thank
1: Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and
0: beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another
2: episode
1: of Farm Bits.